CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday and time for Options Action, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Here's what's on the big show tonight. Earnings season may be coming to a close, but there are several big retailers who still have to wrap things up. Carter Worth helps you decide which could be the gift that keeps on giving. Then, the land of the rising machine tools? Nadine Terman explains why an under-the-radar economic indicator could lead to a winning trade around Japan. Finally, maintaining your hedges. Professor Coe explains why you should continue to sculpt and appreciate your topiary, even with so many other things in the garden to get excited about. It's time to risk less to make more. Options Action starts right now. Let's get right to it. Earnings season is coming to a close and the retailers will play us out. But with the latest reading on consumer sentiment coming in at a 10-year low today and inflation and supply chain issues persisting, do any one of the retail names stand out? Carter Worth or Worth Charting? One certainly does. Carter, what is it? That's right. We're going to look at Target. It is the end of earnings season. And of course, we know it's been an exceptional period. Earnings growth for the S&P at up uh, 40%. Uh, this is a, an incredible thing. Revenues up 18. And of the 15 S&P stocks that report this coming week, half are big retailers from Walmart and Target. We're going to look at Target. First chart, 150-day moving average. And what does it do? It sells off to that line. It bounces twice perfectly. Next chart, same time frame. But no moving average, just the plain chart. Now, taking that plain chart, let's draw some lines. Next chart. What we have, of course, is a fairly well-defined cup and handle formation, which is to say Target sold off some 16% and then has recovered back to the level from which it sold off. Next chart, which is the same thing, but just up close and personal, really tight. And so we know that the peak on August 11th was at 267 and the stock drops to as low as 222, down 16.5% and has recovered right back to that level. Now the cup and handle formation is well documented. You get right to the high and then before breaking out, you back away. And then today we reapproach the high on heavy volume, a good setup going into earnings. Next chart. This is another way to draw the lines. Do you call it a wedge? You can. What it is is a moment of tension. Whether it's a cup and handle, whether it's a flag, a wedge, a pennant, they're usually resolved. They're resolved dramatically. And now you've got to pick your direction. Not always doable. My pick is up. Mike, I assume that's your pick. (laughs) What's your trade? Yeah, I mean, I I do like Target here. First of all, I mean, let's just take a look at the fact that the thing is trading around 20 times uh, full year earnings estimates. Their fiscal year ends at the end of January. So we're looking at uh, something close to about $13 in uh, share in earnings per share. And, you know, this is a company that's doing just a lot of things right, I think. So, first of all, they're expanding in digital. They're using their existing store footprint, essentially, as a mechanism for fulfillment centers. And that helps to keep their logistics costs lower. 
They've got these smaller footprint stores also that they've been growing and they've been expanding into grocery and drug. And I think all of those things, combined with the fact that it's trading uh, at a discount to the broad market, uh, is, you know, we're obviously also in a very strong season for retail. Now, I would say that, of course, the uh, consensus expectations of about 7.5% uh, growth right now, you know, those are maybe a little bit more modest than they had been over the preceding year, because obviously there have been a huge tailwind as a result of the pandemic. But in general, I like it. This is a company that typically moves about 7.5% in the full month after they report earnings. And right now, options premiums at about 30% implied volatility. That's considerably higher than the stock's actual volatility. So options aren't particularly cheap. I think the way we want to play this is with a call spread risk reversal. I was looking out to January the 240, 270, 290 call spread risk reversal when I was looking at that earlier today. And I'm just going to use round prices for simplicity. The downside puts I could sell for just about five dollars, buy the 270 calls for around eight, and then sell the 290s for around three. Net net, when you were looking at this trade, you'd trade it very close to even. Now consider where that 240 put strike is, down a little over seven percent from the current stock price. So if the news turns out not to be so good, the typical move to the downside would have you put the stock at about where it would typically go. On the other hand, if you get that upside move, then you're going to get full participation. And in the middle, you're really not going to make or lose anything. The other thing is that after the catalyst takes place, we're going to get a little bit of ball suck out of those wing options that will help offset some of the decay of owning that call option. Nadine, what do you think of the trade? What do you think of Target? I think that Mike is making a really smart trade because we see some of the opportunities and some of the risks that he's seeing. They're probably going to top the same store sales growth estimate of 8 percent and call it seven and a half, eight percent. October has been really strong across the board, driven by early holiday shopping. But at the same time, implied volatility premiums are high. So I really like the setup he's giving. But as someone who might be owning that type of setup, it could be a sell the news event. So you might not want to hold on to those for too long. Um, because after that, you know, we see about 4% downside to a more minimal upside. So, you know, we'd probably take it off the table if we get a win there and then look elsewhere just because of the high implied volatility premiums, the decay. Um, so we'd probably take it off. Yeah. Last word on this, Mike. Yeah. I mean, I think this is exactly right. I mean, this is also a situation where, you know, it, it's tough in with the market being where it is to find things that we like to own. But uh, obviously looking for companies that have been executing well, that ha are seeing top line and bottom line growth and are trading at a discount to the market. I think Target uh, hits all of those respective targets. But Nadine is right. You know, if we see any form of weakness, uh, this is going to get hit just like everything else would. All right. Let's look forward in time because where we are taking you for our next trade. It's already Saturday and the economy there seems to be pacing ahead of the United States. Nadine is looking at an under the radar indicator in Japan. Nadine, what are you watching? I know, not very sexy to most folks, but, you know, a key Japan ETF, it's the EWJ, has declined by over 4% over the past uh, couple of months. But we look at the improving fundamentals. So the economy had slipped into basically a contraction mode in the third quarter. And similar to many parts of the world, you know, the country had battled COVID cases, which are now improving. Plus, as the world reopened, we've seen the key macroeconomic statistic greatly improve. Those machine tool order numbers that were flagged at the start of the session here. And they basically increased by over 3% to 149.2 billion yen in October. That's up from 144.6 billion yen in September. 
Um, then we also look at it's on top of an increase of 14.8% compared to the August numbers. So you've got two numbers there that are very strong on month-to-month growth, and they represent increases of over 70% year-on-year and mark the 12th consecutive month of year-on-year growth. Also, you see the total orders in September topped 140 billion in yen for the first time in 36 months. So we really like those type of fundamentals. But then you also have near-term news. So Japan's going to compile a stimulus package, more than 40 trillion yen. That equates to about 350 billion U.S. dollars of fiscal spending. We also learned today that the U.S. is moving to ease import tariffs. We're going to ease those on Japanese steel and aluminum. And China's Xi and Biden are going to hold a virtual summit next week. Yes, he's from China, but that matters to Japan. So we really like the near-term setup. So what do our metrics say for Solstein? Our proprietary risk framework says that EWJ is trading in the middle of our expected range of 68 to 71. But we know that it's now trading above, call it a neutral short-term and intermediate-term trade lines. So any positive momentum, you can really see this shoot up. And if we're looking at the 30-day implied volatility premiums, it's grown to 23%. So people are paying up for protection. Short interest is around 4%. So while not huge, it's not above that 10% threshold that we look for, it could have a meaningful short covering potential. So the idea here is we're looking at selling a put and buying a call for the December 17th expiry. The put is at a strike about 4.2% down from here at the $67 level, which would give us 69 cents. So therefore, we would like to own it there. And the call's at a strike of about 3% up from here at the $72 level, which would cost us 47 cents. So we get to pocket some premium today, potentially own the, the security a lot lower, and it gives us the benefit of a current higher price volatility of puts versus calls. So again, we get to pick up that Japan position if the Nikkei and global markets take a pause and gain a call option in the meantime with some near-term catalysts. What does that EWJ chart look like, Carter, to you? Well, one thing that's important, if you look across Asia, right, how the Nikkei is performing, and on a three-month basis, which is what short-term momentum is all about, the Nikkei is outperforming the Shanghai Composite, it's outperforming the Taiwan Straits, it's outperforming the Kospi in Korea, it's outperforming the Hang Seng. And so uh, the chart itself is toying with the prospects of a breakout. A little bit of strength here would really uh, set things in motion. Hmm. So, Mike, what do you think of the trade? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the trade. For one thing, the put that she's selling, she's getting better than 1% of the strike. That's usually sort of the minimum where I'm interested in selling, $0.69 cents versus $67 strike. So that, I think, is important. The other thing to think about, you know, the, the index on which this is based right now is trading around 15.4 times earnings. That's probably a solid three turns cheaper than its historical average. Compare that instead with the S&P at 25.4 times earnings. They're about 10 turns richer uh, than this index, first of all, and also above its average. And then look at the constituents of the index itself. You're dealing with Toyota, Nintendo, Sony, Honda. These are global companies. So it is fair, I think, when you're looking at an index like this one to compare the valuations relatively. I think these stocks look relatively cheap. And for that reason, and also for the fact that she's collecting good premium, I think, on the put relative to the call, I like the trade. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, Professor Ko, quite apropos, how does your garden grow? With hedges. How proper care and spending can actually help you reap more of what you sow. 
Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. J&J splitting, Rivian soaring, cats and dogs living together. Does it feel a little frothy in here? Maybe, maybe not. But that's exactly why you should probably step outside, get a little air, and do a little gardening around the hedges, Professor Co. explains. Mike. Yeah, so, you know, I think this is something we talk about, uh, you know, probably once a quarter. And I think it's important to understand that you can use options as a mechanism for hedging your portfolio. Obviously, we've had an exceptionally strong year so far. What are some things that we want to think about when we're hedging? First of all, when you're hedging, it is a form of insurance on your portfolio. So you're going to spend some premium to mitigate your downside risk. And here's the thing. If you spend that premium and you lose that premium, chances are things are generally good because you don't need to collect on your insurance, suggest that whatever you are insuring is actually doing well. The other thing is you want to hedge when you can, not when you are forced to do so. So you don't try to buy insurance on your house after a fire has started. You want to buy insurance when everything is good. Finally, you want to try to balance your risk tolerance with the expense of hedging. So I'm going to provide an example here. I was looking out to January at the 380 350 put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you would spend a little over $5 in premium to buy that spread, which is about one and a quarter percent of the current level of QQQ. Now, NASDAQ is up 26% year to date. Now, if you annualize that expense, one and a quarter percent, because that's got a little less than three months to go, annualize, that would be about 6% in terms of premium spent. So you can imagine that if every quarter you were spending about that much in a market that's moving up as strongly as this one is, you would have created a drag on your portfolio of about 6%. But given the valuations that we're seeing and, you know, obviously the fact that when you have movement this sharp, you're going to pay a little bit more for insurance, I don't think that anybody would really shy away from 20% returns year on year with a hedge that in this case is going to give you protection down about 10% um, between now and January expiration. So that would be a pretty sharp drawback. So I think the thing you want to think about is if you want to stay long in the market, if you want to continue to have participation to the upside, but the kinds of multiples that we're currently seeing and a lot of the other signs of frothiness that we're also seeing, if those things are giving you some pause, rather than selling your stocks, hedging is another way to go. And Carter, I guess the big question is, how do the markets look to you right now? In other words, is there the need? Should should people think about hedging right now? Well, hedging overall versus the QQQ is obviously a different subject in the sense of the QQQ. We know uh, while it is 100 stocks, the top five, six are almost 50 percent. And they're the big names we know with Tesla being the recent entrant in uh, the top bucket. The issue here for the QQQ, and I think we have a chart, is where it is in relation to its internal trend line. And what you'll see is that um, QQQ has come up to that line and has faltered um, four times, and we're right up against it again. And so 
uh, you can see there as annotated on the screen. Each time it's gotten there, you've had a drawdown. Now, drawdowns are not bad, they're good, because if you're bullish, you want it to correct in order to keep going. And if you're bearish, you think the drawdown's gonna turn into something massive. So either way, in a way, you're always betting for some sort of give back pause. I think that's what you're looking at. Yeah, Nadine, your thoughts? You know, I think Mink and Carter make really good points here. And one of the things that Mike's talking about is if you just held it, nothing happened to it. So it gets to that timing point that he mentioned, too. So if you had bought the protection when it was cheap, whether on the queues or on the stock market overall or your particular securities, there might have been some there's been a lot of volatility under the surface. So there could have been volatility after you purchased it. Those options could have gotten up. You might have sold them. So it really depends if you're trading them or if you're just kind of holding them on to expiry to see what happens. So in our book, if you're kind of buying them when they're cheap, <laughs> unloading them when maybe they're a little bit more expensive, sometimes you're not going to hit that every time. You can really make some good protection on that volatility that's underneath the surface in these markets. Because I don't think the whole story of the year being up so much is really telling the story of underneath the sectors, the exposures, what they've done. All right. Up next, we are swimming back upstream after a recent jungle cruise. That's a hint. Back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Mike and Carter set up for the featured name that was Disney coming out with quarterly results. Carter cited its relative underperformance while Mike played with a diagonal, buying longer dated calls and selling near dated ones. The company, though, disappointed and has been paying for it since. So what does one do here? Carter, I'll start with you. How did this chart look? Was there technical damage done? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Lots of it. So, I mean, this is a perfect instance of, you know, when you first start in the business and something goes wrong, in the fundamentals, they say, well, it was cheap then. We really like it more. Now it must like it more. It's the exact opposite in, in technicals. Look, this is first loss battle. This is a disaster. Instead of going up, it went down. So direction is wrong. And it went down a lot. So first loss, best loss, walk away. Mike? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would point out quickly is that obviously using uh, call spreads or diagonals does limit your risk somewhat. But the February calls that we are long still have a little bit of premium in them. And I think that given the fact that the thesis has changed, the sensible thing to do right now is, is just basically collect whatever they're worth and look to sell those and close the position. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take some of your tweets. Our first viewer asks, we finally got the IWM breakout that the whole world was looking for, yet the follow-through has been non-existent. It seems like this should be a bigger the base, higher in space situation. Is selling a put spread the way to go here uh, to play for a follow-through? Thank you. All right. Well, Nadine, what do you, what do you tell this viewer? First and foremost, thank you for making me laugh on a Friday afternoon. I'm not sure what I think about goldfish nigiri, but in a strange way, I do want to eat some sushi tonight. Um, well, I'm looking at the Russell technicals, right? That's the IWM that he's talking about here or she. Um, and what I'm looking at here is got a really big short interest. So people are using this security to, sh- to either you know, short or cover something that they're doing or just the security on its own. Has a really big implied volatility premium as well, about 20%. So when I look at that and I look at our proprietary trading range, um, and it's still in the middle of the range, I actually, you know, it depends on two things is the answer. Do you want to own the Russell? It comes down to your macroeconomic forecast. Our forecast says, yes, you do. So I'd actually rather collect the premiums by just selling a put 
getting that in and then hoping that maybe I could you know, stay put and get it and keep the premium, or if the market dislocated for whatever reason, I could um, get that uh, Russell at maybe a cheaper price. So I would actually look to play it a little different way. But again, that depends on, number one, your risk tolerance. But two, do you actually want to own the Russell? Yeah. Uh, Carter, just quickly, you know, it's interesting. Goldfish's, um, you know, verdict on this breakout <laughs> is that, that it's over. And I'm wondering what you see in the charts. Right. So, again, it's the precondition. The breakout is dependent on how long the range persisted. And it's not that big a range. And so another way to say that expression, the more authority the level has, the more authoritative the resolution. Frankly, the Russell consolidation was six, seven, eight months, and you've got a minor breakout. And I don't think it does have follow through. All right. Our next viewer asks, DraftKings seems to have support at $40. Thoughts on a risk reversal trade of selling November 39 strike puts at 60 cents and buying January 45 strike calls at 240. Willing to own at 40 bucks. Mike, what do you say? I would say the fact that it's testing that support level and it's done it a couple times is what actually makes me anxious about selling that downside put. You're right to try to sell some premium against the options that you're buying, which are fairly expensive. But consider selling the December 50 calls for a like amount of premium instead. That way you don't face un, you know, risk basically of having the stock put to you if that support fails. All right. Well, before we get to the final call, we'd like to take a moment to welcome tonight the newest addition to the Options Action family. Tony and his wife recently welcomed uh, his son to the world. Everyone is happy and healthy and starting out with simply selling puts. Little Max. Welcome, Max. I know he's watching. <laughs> Time now for the final call. Carter. <laughs> Target on the long side into earnings. Nadine. We're still selling that put and buying the call on the Japan ETF. Mike. I like Target going into earnings, but I also like hedging, given that the QQQ is up 26% year to date. All right. That does it for us to see you back here next Friday at 530. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.